0: Hmm? Ah! deadheads welcome to our podcast i'm jason this is the walking deadcast episode 277 as pretty much i'm sure all of you know this year on july 16th george romero passed on that really hit me you know we've had so many deaths lately but george romero is so tied into what we do here and also just you know a lot of my life has spent watching these zombie movies and loving zombies and he's kind of at the core of that so i thought we should do an episode in tribute of george romero so this is it and to help me with that we have a special guest it's dr arnold bloomberg welcome to the podcast
1: thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here but not for the reason that we're here but uh But, you know, I'm certainly very happy to chat about someone who certainly had a big influence on both of us and so many others.
0: Yeah, and I've thought about, uh, so just for people listening, Arnold and I met at Walker Stalker And he's helped out a few times He's been the subject of a couple of panels because. Well let me just tell you So among other things Arnold's the co-author Of Zombie Mania 80 movies to die for that just talks about Well I think it's 85 now right um, Just talks about a ton of, of Zombie movies and goes into detail About them And then he also taught or maybe teaches a course about zombies and popular media at the University Mm -hmm. of Baltimore. Uh, You have your zombie focused podcast called Doctor of the Dead. I mean, there's a ton of other I know you've been in several zombie documentaries. How else would you describe your relationship with zombies over the years?
1: Uh, It it went from being a hobby to a cottage industry, is I think what it is. Yeah. yeah, it just, it it grew from doing the book and doing the college course into something where it's just a major part of the, the pop culture commentary that I do. And, uh, and it's just something that I enjoy talking about a great deal. And, and matter of fact, even though I'm teaching right now, I'm not teaching the zombie course this semester, but in all of the general writing courses that I now teach over at University of Maryland as well... The unit that I give them on a research paper, I center around Night of the Living Dead and zombies and have them derive themes for their paper from that. So, this semester in October, of course, we'll be watching Night of the Living Dead in all my writing se- uh, sections, and uh, there again, another example of how Romero will live on.
0: <laughs> now, doing that same exercise with different students every year. Do you ever get surprised? Does somebody come up with something? Oh, wow, a new take. Or is it a lot of the same things over and over?
1: No, I get... I, I'm i genuinely surprised at least once a semester by someone who comes up with uh, whether it's an interpretation of something from, say, the film itself or just an angle on it that I never would have thought of. And that's because all of these students bring themselves to it. And I've had everything from... Uh, students that explore the gender roles and even make a strong argument for why Barbara may be not as ineffectual as so many of us seem to think yeah to uh to people talking about you know how they would uh, strategize survival, all these sorts of things and there's there's usually a couple of people every semester that really come up with new and different ways of looking at it and that's what keeps it fun and interesting for me too. Heck
0: yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It's got to be a lot of fun to read those.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs)
0: For the most part,
1: um, so <laughs> For the most I, part, yes, <laughs> it's still a job too. So yeah, right. yeah.
0: So I, I mean, I thought, yeah, I know it's not the happiest of occasions, but I thought you'd be the perfect person to come on and just talk about Romero because I know you're so knowledgeable about all this stuff.
1: Well, I appreciate it, and it's a, it's a joy to have a chance to talk with you. I'm sorry about the circumstances, but I know we both uh, really like the opportunity to pay tribute to someone who was so important. And certainly it's been everywhere, but of course it was going to be. This man is a towering icon.
0: Heck yeah. So. We can't, I mean, on this podcast, we can't go without paying some tribute because if not for him, we wouldn't be doing any of this. And I and I don't know if you know this, but I quit my day job this year, so I'm podcasting full-time and doing cons. And, I did um, not know that, okay. If it wasn't for George Romero, I would still be hating my day job and in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's that's pretty significant, um so it, in go. in this episode we'll do a little tribute we'll mostly just be talking about George marrow's work. then we'll have our listener moans groans and grunts while we are uh hear what you guys how he's impacted you guys. then I'll do a little bit of a news section at the end so that's what's you're about to hear so uh first off, you've built a career around zombies at least in. Uh, some part, I, I don't know if you would say fully, but it, it's had a huge impact on your career, I would say. So I can tell already, but how did this hit you when you found out that he died?
1: Oh, it was, well, it was one of those things where I, I'm sure everybody understands. Certainly people understand they're all listening to this about somebody like Romero, I guess, but whether it's an actor you grew up loving or, or director or writer, there are those people that have been like just a part of the pop culture landscape your whole life, and there are people where occasionally you do have a sense of well, they're they're elderly now, and you, and you figure well, the day will come where we'll no longer be able to have them around. And then there are people that go too soon; it's really a shock. And yet, for Romero, it was a little of both. Yeah. Because I I think for everybody that was really paying attention in the industry, I was actually doing the um the Living Dead weekend at Monroeville Mall that we just did this year where they did the big Dawn of the Dead reunion and we were doing that and having, you know, conversations on stage with Ken Forey and all these people and at the time, uh, Romero was scheduled to appear in Indianapolis, I think it was, like the week after that and then uh, they announced that he was ill and and he he wasn't going to be there and there just felt like there was something to that. I just had this feeling like any day we're gonna find out that we lost him, mm. and and so I I and, and and of course yeah he wasn't a young man but mm. it was it was kind of a mix of not entirely being surprised, but then when it actually happened, just you know, and you know the way it is today where. Now what it is is you, you get up, you look at your phone or you look at your computer and 4,000 people on Twitter and Facebook or whatever are going nuts about whatever <laughs> it is. Right. So I saw just a wall of stuff of mm-hmm. everybody posting, you know, farewell to the father of the modern zombie and all this. And, uh, and at the same time as it felt inevitable and sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that was coming. It <laughs> still was a shock, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's usually going to be. And, what um, wasn't you
0: know. he? Uh, I've read a few things over the years that seem like they were trying to get a TV show going. Maybe Empire of the Dead.
1: The Empire of the Dead thing, from what I understood, was uh, news that came out and had then been debunked or okay. misconstrued. Uh, uh, okay. So I don't think I. I might be wrong, and somebody could certainly say. But I think that that was someone who misreported something about AMC. Trying to do Empire of the Dead with him, and I think it was just like an off-the-cuff remark at a convention that got um, blown out of proportion. But then, of course, he was working on Road of the Dead.
0: That another movie, right?
1: Yeah, that yeah. was going to be that was going to be the one where he wasn't going to direct it. He was going to hand it off to a protege, and they, and he was going to produce, and it was going to be the next Dead movie, and uh, very much. Uh, uh, incorporate aspects of like Mad Max Fury Road, you know, with with The Living Dead and it's like, well, that sounds like it's a, got some good possibilities and <laughs> and I guess that might still happen. Okay. But it, you know, but it'll now happen as a tribute to him if anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a script, right?
1: I think there was, yeah. but I'm not 100% sure of how far along they were with all of it. I think the problem like he often talked about was how difficult it was to secure funding these days for a lot of things. Yeah, and and he often talked about how he was in like you know for all of us that really respect his work and what he did, there are all those people out there in the business side of things who are like, well, you know, what have you done for us lately? And and he couldn't make a go of it with uh, with getting things together. So yeah, see I if mean, that one it's happens.
0: interesting with him. It's like I think I feel like he has um, a quirky style, and these days they want bankable, safer concepts than he was willing to deliver, would you say?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And so they weren't willing to risk giving him a lot of money?
1: I don't think so, and I also think that in some sense he may have been at least partially a victim of his own um, pop culture success and legacy in that Walking Dead became such a flag bearer for the very concept of the zombie that I'm sure many people looked at anything he might have tried to do in a film and said, yeah, but we've already got that every week on AMC. And he was not
0: happy about that, right?
1: And he wasn't. And he had a reason to be. And in some sense, that supplanted him. In, in what was being done and I guess what you would call now the modern mainstream take on the zombie but that's because it was all inspired by yeah. the things he did.
0: It's so, yeah, it's kind of bittersweet because I know Robert Kirkman has nothing but love for Romero's work and that's why he did all this and they've got Greg K- uh, Nicotero working on it who mm-hmm. was a protege of his.
1: Yeah and Savini and and so yeah so I mean they some of them and in case somebody like Nicotero came directly out of all of this uh, really historic work that Romero did on zombies and of course then the current success is is so ubiquitous and everybody just you know, there's so many people out there that I see, like whether it's you or me at Walker Stalker or things like that. How often people say, "Well, I'm a Walking Dead fan, but I'm not a zombie fan." Yeah. You know, and they they very much define it that way, and that's because Walking Dead had became all encompassing. But it is it is the core of that Romero idea that that's still airing today on things like Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, there I feel like. You know, I came to The Walking Dead because I am a Romero fan and I'm a zombie fan and they still Mm. have not shown any zombies reaching out of graves. And I feel like that's a huge (laughs) hole. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) They need to show that. Um, All right. I wanted to ask you. So did there was a big public memorial in Toronto? Did you go to that?
1: No, no, I wasn't able to go to that. Like the last thing I was at, like I said, was this was before he died, but we were at we were all at Monroeville for the the Living Dead weekend that was, uh, was sort of partnered with Steel City Con. Was he there? And he no, he was not there. Yeah. There were there were rumors, there were um little rumbles going on about the possibility uh, but I think it may have also been a victim of him being right. not being well, because it definitely was like right after that that he wasn't able to do that other thing. So, um, but there was there was some weird like sort of under the table kind of undercurrents of like, well, you know, he might be in the area <laughs> at a certain point, and and I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of moderating of and interviewing on stage for all the Dawn people, and one of the things that kind of got around a little bit was, you know be ready if something happens. Oh, wow. And yeah. I was like, I'll, I'll be ready, you know, <laughs> but, but no, but it didn't. And, uh, and we still had a wonderful time and everybody was really great to a person. They were all, uh, great. In fact, I think not to play favorites, but I think one, one of the most pleasant was talking to Scott Reiniger cause he was, he wasn't having such a great weekend. He was physically, he wasn't feeling too well, but he still was a trooper and he got up there and yeah, you know, did all these things. So remind we us. Really... Remind us who that is. Oh, I'm sorry. He's Roger and Dawn of the Dead. Okay. So yeah,
0: we had several of the actors from Dawn of the Dead at one of the Walker Stalkers, and uh... yeah, no, no, we had Day of the Dead. We had Day oh, of the Day Dead. Oh, Day of the Dead. Okay. And yeah, they were so um, just nice and fun and loving. And who's the main actress?
1: Uh, Lori Cardell Yeah, His she. Father just... was. Uh... Billy Cardill, the reporter and knight who who only died like a year or two ago. Yeah, and it's it's uh and in fact actually family that that points right to it. That's kind of why so yeah. much of Romero's work stands the test of time because there's a sort of family kind of feel to it. Everybody feels that connection and and um more so than a lot of other fandoms when you see people get together at conventions or at events there's a sense of an extended family of all these people, particularly like all the people that came out of Pittsburgh in the area that worked on everything. And, uh, and it's just, uh, it makes that makes a loss all the more palpable and sad. You Absolutely. know, when somebody goes.
0: I mean, we, Karen and I felt that when, uh, not Russ Strainer, but his brother. Oh, yeah. He came on the podcast because they were trying to save the Evans City Cemetery. Um, the chapel, the chapel, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that's and, right,
0: and and so then I sort of briefly got involved with their uh, Facebook community, and it was so active, and I could just feel the sense of the family vibe around that, and people rallying oh, yeah. together and everything, and yeah, yeah, so that I. It, That I thought that was that was pretty cool It's so funny to me and like people Who aren't into zombies or walking dead at all I'll mention it and they'll look at me Like I'm weird or something but once you get Involved (laughs) it's not a Bunch of crazy like bloodthirsty people it's a bunch of Cool nice people (laughs) Yeah
1: not at all yeah exactly It's it's a very warm community
0: Yeah exactly well I wanted To get okay so let's get into Some of his movies so this is really kind of what I'd love to hear from you is there was a concept of zombies before Romero and there were zombie movies before Night of the Living Dead. But how would you describe his impact on like our perception of zombies and how zombies have evolved as presented in the culture since that movie?
1: Well, it's it's really incalculable. Romero and of course, you know, not to exclude, but you know, Romero and John Russo and you know, the Striners and Carl Hardman, everybody involved in that team that helped to shape Night of the Living Dead did something that in a million years they they could never have expected the impact they were going to have on pop culture. They basically reinvented the concept that would be attached to the word zombie forever, and it had nothing to do with any cultural construct or what the zombie was before that. And, of course, that's one of the things that... I talk about and teach a lot, which is that it basically is cultural appropriation. The zombie Kim chem- <laughs> comes from the West Indies and in Haiti, and it's about slavery, and it's you know it's people that are enslaved and and potentially. Um, manipulated by a combination of suggestion and spiritualism and drugs and, and all these things. Was
0: there ever a suggestion that those people are undead or not really? Huh? Yes. They're, oh, it oh, was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Within the mythology of it all, there's the idea that they exist in a limbo state, and there's mm. also the idea that they could be rising. Uh, and of course, if, if, say, for instance, a drug cartel were to use the drug to paralyze someone, bury them alive, and that person claws their way back out of the grave, like you mentioned before, yeah. then locals that had no conception of what was actually going on could certainly point to that and go, oh my God, that person's rising from the grave. And there you have that idea. Right. And that's um, what
0: was like in Serpent in the Rainbow is a good example of yeah, that. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Right. And that's based on, you know, while while not having the weird, you know, Wes Craven guy jumping sideways through a portal park. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's based on the real story of Wade Davis, who went there to try to research for a pharmaceutical company about what that was and ran afoul of the darker side of all that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's all sort of the real world part. And then Night of the Living Dead comes along, and it's basically, you know, to keep this relatively short, it's basically Romero's attempt to adapt Richard Matheson's novel, I Am Legend, without having to pay for it, <laughs> um, and to conflate certain things about the vampire creatures that matheson's novel featured along with folklore about a demonically possessed corpse called a ghoul and this flesh-eating creature the ghoul is what night of the living dead is about and uh it took one magazine uh review or two and something i think i mentioned the village voice for them to say zombie mainly because people looked at it then and they grew up with the voodoo zombies and they thought, oh, they kind of shuffle around like zombies do, and that stuck. Mm. And then before too long, he decided, well, all right, this is what we're calling them then, so we're going to start doing that. And Dawn comes along and they say zombie once, Mm. but they do say it. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, to get back to your original question, Night of the Living Dead is this undeniable massive flashpoint in pop culture, and it goes way, way beyond zombie fans and the zombie genre. It's a reinvention of how successful an independent local film can be, it's it's a reinvention of horror storytelling in cinema, and there's so much about that movie beyond even the concept of the zombie changing that we're still seeing the impact of in our entertainment it's it's absolutely huge
0: now you mentioned that uh, night of the living dead was a, sort of an adaptation of um i am legend yeah i was just going through the wikipedia page and it jogged my memory that it really evolved over the development and that originally it says it was uh under the title monster flick and early screenplay draft concern the exploits of adolescent aliens who visit earth and befriend human teenagers uh, it, that sounds like it would have been a more um typical campy horror movie like what was coming out at the time
1: yeah and and there's also i mean like sort of buried in the dna of night of living dead is also 50s science fiction yeah because, because of the alien you got the Venus probe that mm-hmm. comes back with radiation, yeah. And, and movies prior to it that clearly had their um, influence, I always point to the, the one more people will know, which is Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. But then also one from that same year that some people don't, which is Invisible Invaders, but both have the same plot in which aliens use a beam to resurrect human corpses as an army. And they're not coming back to eat anyone, but the visuals of that are definitely the the kind of thing that they used in Night of Living Dead. So it's a mix of all these things slowly developing and then like you said, over time they're also refining their original idea. But that space probe and radiation is still sorta of in there. And so there's there it's a it's a late sixties movie.
0: It's like a it's, vestigial
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: And do you think uh, it feels like a throwaway in the movie and it almost seems uh, at odds with the tone of the rest of the movie? And I wonder if he uh, regretted putting that in there.
1: Well, it sounds like he might have because as the years went on and as all of us that spend so much time like interpreting what does Night of the Living Dead mean added so much weight and meaning to his reputation and to the work, I think it also led him and other people involved to not necessarily take credit where it isn't due but sort of accept more credit than perhaps they really consciously Intended, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> and yeah. I think the space probe thing was just an element of it where it's like well we didn't really mean that to be the answer it's like yes you did if you pay attention to the movie that's <laughs> definitely what's going on but but that doesn't it doesn't at all invalidate the deeper meaning of it all or that mm-hmm. there's more interesting things but yeah i'm sure you know they they probably would have thought well we shouldn't have mentioned anything at all
0: yeah no but, no, no yeah. point in it yeah so yeah there's this whole um we put a lot of social the, themes and things like that Sure, and, uh sure. i think he said he didn't necessarily intend that but then he started consciously doing it later on
1: yeah i think so. when you when well, when you go through a lot of interviews, you also see sort of an arc where it's like, you know, did you intend, you know, did you pick Dwayne, Dwayne Jones for a reason? Did mm-hmm. did you intend to comment on Vietnam? It's like, I'm oh, just trying to make a horror movie, and then like five, ten years later, well, maybe some of that was kind of floating <laughs> around, and then eventually it's like, yes, we we were thinking these things, and it, and that's okay. I mean, you know, yeah. that's going to happen, but. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make it any less important or less interesting right. that filmmakers just naturally are going to... Uh, it's going to filter through in your work, regardless of whether you intend it or not. And Absolutely. One, of the things, one of the things I often point out is, I think sometimes it's a real trap when somebody makes a zombie movie or show where they feel, well, Romero always means something, so i got to do something that means something. But doing it consciously is often a very ham-fisted way of doing right. it. Right. It's much better when it happens organically. And I think that's what happened with Night of the Living Dead. Mm
0: -hmm. And even um, Dawn of the Dead, I would say, you know, since it's so obviously about consumerism, I still appreciate that, even though it's um, maybe some would say it's pretty ham-fisted. It's still so tantalizing to me just to see the mindless zombies uh, shambling around this huge monolithic shopping mall.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question at all because we have all the interviews and all the behind the scenes stuff to confirm that you know this was done with definite intent. Mm-hmm. And the idea that ten years on, well, now we've really got to do something that means something. But how absolutely perfect could it be? Right. To come up with this ultimate metaphor of consumption, you know, and shambling around and consuming, and it's like, well. You, you ne- you're you practically never going to get as better a connection between theme and reality as you are with that. So, right. you know, we, we spent a lot of time doing the Monroeville thing talking about Dawn, and it stands the test of time easily. Forty mm-hmm. years later, it still has a lot of impact. And some of my favorite moments are like the quieter ones, like, you know, um, like the scientist with his voiceover discussing, you know, they're the the methodology of the zombie, you know, while they're shambling around and you know, the them trying to set up house in the mall for a while and becoming zombies themselves. It's it's amazing stuff and it still works. In in some ways you could even say it it could be that for all the impact night had, Dawn might actually be more his masterpiece in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think they kinda of flip flop in, in importance. They both have reasons to be considered you know, brilliant historic pieces of work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I prefer night because dawn seems a little goofy to me.
1: It, it does have a lot more humor <laughs> and yeah. yeah. I mean, by the time you get to the pie fight it's, yeah,
0: and uh, the, and the, um, blood pressure machine.
1: Yes. The blood pressure <laughs> machine. Yeah. But it's fun. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I go back to yeah. it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's totally, they're very different mm-hmm. and, um, there's something to Night of the Living Dead being one of those perfect movies you can put on, you know, every year at Halloween, and it, it never fails to be just the right touch of atmosphere.
0: Well, so the rest of his movies uh, in this series, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, then Diary, right? and Then then Diary, and then Survival. survival. Yeah. So um, what would you, if you just would say a few words about each of those?
1: Well, Day of the Dead, I I think, is, has gained in reputation over the years after it was, I think, sometimes suffered as sort of the least of the original trilogy. But I think it's also, I think it still has some of the finest, if not the finest zombie makeup effects ever done. And
0: that's where Nicotero came on board. Exactly. And, and you and, sort of see that mm-hmm. in The Walking Dead, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. There's, of course, the absolutely stunning uh, performance of Sherman Howard or Howard Sherman, depending on how he's being credited that week, um, <laughs> as Bub, and um, and there's some absolutely wonderful stuff in it. I'm not a fan of the musical score for that one. I think the movie would have benefited from a different musical score. Some people love it. So
0: I like that's the fine opening. Too. I like the. opening. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, and so I think uh, it's it's also excellent. And I just think it suffers uh, in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move on to Land, and Land is the, the movie that he was like he had movie studio money thrown at him. And, Dennis uh, Hopper, yeah. Dennis Hopper, and and it has some good moments, and it has some some interesting developments. And Romero, as he got older, seemed to start getting even more fascinated by the concept of what happens as these creatures continue to exist and evolve and think and so you have eugene clark's big daddy and Mm -hmm. some of those characters there's good stuff in land of the dead i don't think it's like a great film but i think there's a lot of good stuff in it and if you're a fan i think it winds up being a perfectly uh fun watch although it's certainly a shadow of you know what he had done earlier um
0: that you know that aspect of Seeing how the zombies may learn and evolve uh, Mm -hmm. Or retain some of their former uh, humanness or memory I wish they would have brought some of that into The Walking Dead They seemed to want to when Darabont was there But then they squashed it And I feel like, especially with a series that's expected to be around seemingly forever That that would, you know, plant seeds for some more interesting storytelling
1: yeah, I think as the sort of the more sordid aspects of all the Darabont stuff has come out, I think we've learned more and more, a uh, few tidbits here and there that, you know, for whatever things about the show people have enjoyed, and let's face it, running seven, eight years is, is obviously no failure. I feel like we lost a lot by not having Darabont's version.
0: Oh, give me some more and, about that. What you, Like, what well, were some of the tidbits?
1: Well, for one thing, like you were saying, there's, there's, there's a clear indication that they were going to potentially play with the idea of the evolution of thought, whether it was Morgan's wife, mm-hmm. or even right from day one, episode one, with Summer, with the little girl picking up the teddy bear, right? which is a move that doesn't make any sense at all, if, unless there's some glimmer of thought or memory in there, Absolutely. and yet they, they clearly had no interest in pursuing that afterward. And in fact have gone on the record, whether it's Nicotero or the others going on the record saying, Yeah, we and and Kirkman saying, Yeah, we left that behind, we decided not to bother with that, but it also meant that you wound up with a show where the zombies become less and less important, which in a way is they should, but, but they basically become virtually no threat at all in yeah. this cannon fodder.
0: Less threatening, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, mm. and maybe there could have been some really interesting potential storytelling. That was lost. Another little tidbit was one of the things that always um, made me sad that we lost was just the the storytelling structure that Darabont wanted to do that we lost out on. Like um, that notable actor Sam Witwer appears as the zombie, or rather the dead body, in the tank when Rick hides in the tank at the beginning in season one, and a lot of people at the time were like, "Hey, that's Sam Witwer. Why is he there?" And that's because the opening of season two is going to step back in time and tell the story of the people that were there at the fall of Atlanta and lead up to him being in the tank and dying and basically meet back up with the beginning of season one. But with the departure of Darabont went that entire storyline and that structure. Um, and so a lot of those things fell by the wayside, but you know, but anyway, we're, um, we're focusing on Romero but yeah, that's yeah you know. I was just
0: curious you know since
1: Yeah no that's fine.
0: Yeah it, it's it's interesting to hear that stuff. I I totally I I remember we reported back, uh, on that back when that happened but Yeah. Okay yeah. so we're on diary.
1: Diary. Um I don't have a lot of good things to say about <laughs> diary. I I do think you know it's it's I I don't want to generalize. I do feel that very often you get filmmakers who they reach a certain point in their lives it could very well be they just don't have it in them anymore to do the same kind of work they used to do. Everybody's like that. Yep. And you get older, you can't, you know, he very much in his later years had become such an icon and in a sense had even physically become one. My God, I think like every time I saw him, his glasses got bigger and bigger. (laughs) (laughs) He was just, he was just this caricature of George Romero and he was such this, this smiling Uh, happy person who was like the the front man for such horrific stuff, but he was (laughs) such a great guy. But I also think that it could be that, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has it in him to keep doing the kind of thing that he did with Night or Dawn or even Day. And I do think that his last couple movies suffer.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even see Survival. I, the reviews I wouldn't were recommend not it. Not very good, <laughs> I,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, to talk about Diary, I think the the worst thing I could say about Diary is that I just don't think it's all that great. I think it's kind of um, most of the acting and most of the production value in it seems pretty low. It, it often feels like it's supposed. it's a found footage movie. So it's supposed to look like people are just shooting it, and it is based at least partially on the premise that these students are working on a movie when a night-like zombie outbreak happens. But that also doesn't mean that the movie itself needs to suffer in quality to that extent, but I think it does. And I also think that what it just winds up doing is retreading all the basic concepts that the Blair Witch Project had already run through and to the to even the point of actually having a few lines of dialogue and diary that are basically lifted verbatim <laughs> from Blair Witch project which i think is you know not something he needs to do this this is a man who gave us some of these great classics you don't need to you know do someone else's thing so
0: mm-hmm. i mean would you would you say i, I think I, I only saw that once and it was back yeah. when it came on so my memory's foggy but it seemed like he was trying to just comment on how we're so focused on um, documenting things versus actually being in the present moment with them or something like that. And
1: that's, and that's exactly the theme that Blair, Witch basically states in so many words at one point. And then he has, (laughs) he has two characters basically say that. And the thing is, it still has some interesting moments. I would, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that diary isn't worth seeing for anyone. That's a zombie fan. And particularly for anyone that's a fan of Romero, it is well worth watching diary at least once. I do feel like, in some respects, Diary feels like the end of the line and yeah. and a good stopping place. Survival, I genuinely feel, is a, a very big disappointment as, as, just in terms of film. Um, I'm sure there are people that like it. There might be people listening to this right now that think I'm crazy and think, oh, come on, Survival's good. And if you like it, that's fine. I, I just think that it was... Um, it was a case of diminishing returns, and I think at that point in his career, I, I just don't think he had it in him to do anything much. It, it, it relies a lot on some really embarrassing cliches, and um, it's it's a sort of a sad footnote there. I think Diary might be the last almost reasonable viewing of, of a movie in that series. Um, but still, doesn't invalidate anything that he did before, and certainly all the other movies that he did outside of that series too. So, Absolutely. you know, that happens. And know? it's
0: sort of fitting that the whole series would seemingly die and then be resurrected in this sort of rotting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. That's way. right.
0: Uh, and then, what about the comic series he was working on, Empire of the Dead? Did you take a look at that?
1: I've only seen a little bit of that. It's I think got it had vampires interest- in it. Yeah, it had some interesting stuff too. It seems to be part of a trend. I know that Jonathan Mayberry was working on some things too, where there's a lot of stuff where, um, and and even like a series like the adaptation of uh, Guillermo del Toro's A Strain*. There seems to be a, a there was a whole trend for a while that seemed to be a meshing of different monster uh, traditions, or or a twist on existing ones. So we were getting a lot of things where there are zombies and vampires or creatures that are a little of both. And, Mm -hmm. and we talked about, I am legend. I mean, that really goes back a long way. Um, so this stuff in comics is interesting too. Certainly if, if the person's a fan, it's, it's worth taking a look at, but obviously, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's those first three living dead movies or dead movies that, uh, that are going to be his greatest legacy and to a certain extent some of the other things like the crazies and creep show and yeah that's
0: what i was going to ask like is what other of his work do you feel like people should especially seek out
1: i think the crazies is essential Mm -hmm. um it it uh it explores a lot of the same general ideas of the fear of civilization breaking down only it does it in what's arguably a more realistic fashion because you're talking about an outbreak that doesn't have to do with zombies but in and of itself it has inspired many other uh, stories and films done and actually had a remake where they basically turned it more into a zombie movie what did you uh, think of that
0: it was uh Tim too yeah i, I yeah, actually enjoyed n- not it not too bad i never saw the original okay. though i should check it out
1: yeah, it it's it was pretty good. I think I feel I feel like they did that little twist sort of in homage to him and the fact that, well, it's a Romero remake, so people are gonna expect but mm-hmm. the original has a real um real like low budget but, but gritty sort of realism to it that's typical of his work from that time. You like you you can't help but recognize a lot of the same people and a lot of the same approach. For the same reason, I'd also recommend that anybody that's a fan that hasn't, although they probably have, Seek Out Martin, Mm -hmm. Um, certainly one of the most original takes on a vampire story that's ever been done, and um, has a mood to it that just is, you just, you do not see horror movies like the stuff that you see in the early and (laughs) mid-70s, and he's one of those people that, that uh that created some really memorable and and disturbing stuff and uh I would say the Crazies and Martin are great as far as like non-zombie Romero films to seek out.
0: Awesome. I wrote those down. I'm gonna check them out. <laughs> Alright. So, well before we wrap up this segment, are there any other just tidbits that you feel like should be mentioned in a Romero tribute?
1: Um well, he did a number of other things. We did mention Creepshow briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, Tales from the Dark Col- Side. Tales from the Dark I mean,
0: Side. I was reading recently uh, an interview that where he said that he thought video games are really what popularized zombies to such a great degree because they make good enemies. Mm-hmm. I, I and I think he's right about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I. I think the fact that they've proliferated to the point where even non-zombie games will like do a zombie patch <laughs> yeah. or a zombie level it's just something that's become part of our pop culture landscape so he's right I think I just to to get a little like uh, like real talk for a second I would say that uh like a lot of people you reach a certain age I think he also got to a point where sadly particularly for people who are very big fans it became clear that he was bitter about a lot of things. And um, as anybody who's a zombie fan or a Walking Dead fan knows, he also sort of infamously lashed out at the Walking Dead uh, at least once. Um, If I remember right, he turned down directing for it. He also talked about it being a soap opera. Um, But many of the criticisms that he leveled at things that came after him only seemed to indicate that he didn't quite realize that it was all material that was building on what he did, or, or rather evolving from what he did. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stay static. And unfortunately, like yeah. anyone, you reach an age where you've pretty much stopped. You, know, you, you have the perception you have, you like what you like, you don't really change all that much. And I think he reached a point where he was no longer able to see that the very genre that he helped to shape was growing away from him. And it's a little bittersweet that that was the case and that he felt that way, but there's no denying the fact that by the time he died, there were still like legions of fans worldwide who looked up to him as this architect of all these things. And I'm, I'm quite sure that given how much he did in, like public events and everything, that he was aware of that. And uh, it certainly had to have been gratifying to know that, you know... Maybe he couldn't get funding for a movie at the end the way he wanted to, but he was never going to be forgotten. Nope. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I know at Walker Stucker we always got asked when he was going to be there, and I know mm-hmm. James was trying to get him, but he didn't like Walking Dead, so he didn't want to yeah. do it. But yeah. yeah, so many people love him still.
1: Yeah, and like <laughs> you said toward the beginning, if it weren't for him, there wouldn't be any Walking Dead. There that's wouldn't right. be any of the things that people are fans of. It's because of that man and the work that he and his partners did that gave us all of the zombie storytelling we have today.
0: Well, that's a good time to take a little break, but there's more to come. So stay with us. I learned everything from George Romero.
1: Dario watching
0: to Sam Tom. Alright, back it's time to talk about our sponsor, and that is Fracture. Do you know about Fracture?
1: No. No, I don't.
0: Well what they are is you submit your photo, you upload any photo you want, and then they'll send it back to you printed on this pane of glass.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah,
0: it looks really nice. It's almost like it's backlit. It's not, but it looks Ah. a little bit like that. And it's uh, got its own backing, so it's ready to mount. Mm -hmm. It turns your photo into this really nice, beautiful, lasting product. And they call it Fracture because it combines a frame and a picture into one simple product and these are great because if you take a lot of pictures, which most people do, and they're just hidden away on your phone, nobody ever gets to see them. You know, you put stuff up on Facebook, but, uh, it's gone after a while so i know people have these pictures that would look great up on your wall and that you'd want to be reminded of and this is a great way to memorialize it get one of george romero put it up on your wall um so <laughs> my sense my is people are framing pictures less these days but this makes it really easy because all you have to do is just upload it and then they send it to you and it's ready to mount and it looks great cool another really good thing that I like about the company Fracture is they're just a great company. They, they really want to make you happy. They have a 60 day happiness guarantee to make sure that you're completely satisfied and all their fractures are handmade at their factory in Gainesville, Florida, where they check every image for quality. And also (laughs) it comes in really environmentally friendly packaging. So they're just like great to deal with in my experience. If you want to get one of these, you can go to fractureme.com slash podcast and then choose Walking Deadcast so they know that our ads are working. And by the way, this is also a great way to help support us and get something cool at the same time. So if you are, you know, there we have our Patreon, we have um, our you know our Amazon link, but if you just go and get one of these fractures, that's another way to help support us because Fracture has been such a great sponsor for us over the years Uh, by the way if this is your first order and you you use the code that they give you you'll get 10% off and that's at Fracture com slash podcast thank you Fracture alright now it's time for listener moans groans and grunts Uh, so I asked people how Romero impacted them and here's what they mm -hmm. said
1: uh, this one's from Shannon Nielsen. Uh, and Shannon said, This is going to be. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I started off with, This is going to be great. Love me, Sub Doctor of the Dead. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's a pleasure to be here. Although, like I said, I'm sorry about the circumstances. Um, and Shannon just said, I'm actually having a dead marathon today, just finishing up Dawn right now. You know, it also occurs to me, by the way, that when things like this happen, it's another opportunity for people to revisit all these things. So I know that like during this time, so many people have probably been marathoning all these movies that we all love because it's a chance to sort of revisit his work. So
0: yeah, you've got me wanting to go check out Martin and, uh, yeah. And the crazies
1: for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Richard Davenport says before the walking dead, before 28 days later, before zombies were. Quote cool I loved Romero's Then dead trilogy My mother inadvertently Introduced me to Dawn of the dead When I was a kid Of about eight Watching from the landing Of our US Air Force Housing unit It was one of the first movies My parents rented For their new Betamax VCR If that gives you an idea Mm. Of how far back You have to go In the wayback machine I watched these Technicolor monsters Eating people in a mall And I was entranced I watched Night of the living dead Later as a film student And in between I watched Day of the dead Something about Dawn just clicked with me and I've been watching those movies and Land of the Dead every Halloween season since. The Crazies is a great flick and I loved Creepshow, The Dark Half, Tales from the Dark Side, Monkey Shines. It cannot be understated how massively George A. Romero impacted my love of film in general and horror movies in particular.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Santos S. Sanchez says, My first introduction to zombie horror was The Black and White Night of the Living Dead. I was about 12 years old. I watched other zombie movies throughout my teen years, but soon didn't watch any more until the remake of Dawn of the Dead. That movie was my reintroduction to the modern zombie apocalypse, and I continue to be a fan to this day. Movies, novels, comics, TV shows, and podcasts, I can't get enough.
0: (laughs) Consume (laughs) all that stuff.
1: You're not alone.
0: (laughs) I, about like watching it when he was eight, uh, my scarred me for life was well Jaws. That was the first movie I ever th- saw in sure. the theater at yeah. six years yeah. old, and then Phantasm. I caught that on TV, oh, and that just God, ruined Phantasm. my sleep for.
1: <laughs> I just years. went to see like the restoration of that, and that was a joy to see in a theater I'd never <laughs> seen in a theater. Huh. And you know, I actually I'll throw in I I I, I now realized that one of my all time favorite horror series and the character I love so much, Michael Myers, in Halloween. That's what introduced me to Night of Living Dead, because I think the very first glimpse of Night of Living Dead I ever had was actually it playing in in a house at the beginning of Halloween too. So I actually saw it through Halloween. Mm. Yeah, interesting.
0: I think after Phantasm, my mom wouldn't let me watch Halloween. Because <laughs> <laughs> she saw how it affected me Brad Holt says Freshman year in college Halloween weekend Night of the Living Dead Dawn of the Dead And Day of the Dead Triple feature at the Student Union I finally wow. found a horror subgenre That I thought was truly frightening That slow-moving, endless, mindless horde Was much more scary to me Than the slashers Or the old-school monsters That and the graphic effects Made me feel That I was watching something That maybe I shouldn't be seeing We'll never forget that scene at the beginning of dawn in the tenement building.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. that's a good point too. There's sort of like a transgressive quality to dawn where it really feels like you're you're watching stuff you shouldn't be looking at That's mm-hmm. what makes it yeah
0: I mean even night too, right because it's it's yes, seen, i, I sure. don't I don't fully have the context, but my my sense is that horror movies were not so stark and oh not at all real yeah. uh, real scene, yeah. On.
1: I mean, like Roger Ebert was saying at the time that the movie was like a crime against children. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a shock. Did he ever reevaluate? Uh, he did to some extent, but um, but yeah, his his infamous review of Night is still something a lot of fans get a <laughs> kick out of because yeah. it was just so intense. Right. Um, Mo Fabo. Okay, grew up in Pittsburgh, and Monroeville Mall was our mall. So in 1977, 78, when they were looking for extras for Dawn of the Dead. All my older brother's classmates are going to be part of the event. When I think of Romero, I think of Western Pennsylvania.
0: And that's awesome. I want to ask yeah. her if did they do it and why was her brother going to be in it? Why wasn't she mm-hmm. in it? <laughs> yeah. Rick Montalvon says, Romero's non-zombie flicks are truly unique as well. Martin, creep show and my absolute favorite, Night Riders, are mm. so underrated. Even Season of the Witch was pretty interesting and definitely a Romero film.
1: I have to admit that I've never seen Season of the Witch or Knight Riders, and I really have to uh, take care of that, so maybe those have to go on my list. Cool. I have to do that. Wendy Ott Eppers says, Night of the Living Dead is simply the original, so good, but I really enjoyed Creepshow and Monkey Shines, too.
0: Mark Anthony Miranda says he inspired a horror genre that expresses the human experience better than any vampire, werewolf, or mummy ever did.
1: I have to agree with that one. Yep. Mick says, as a kid, I begged dad to take me to see the original Dawn of the Dead. As we were walking out, all he said to me was, never again.
0: (laughs) I had that same experience when I dragged my aunt to see Batman and Robin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, many of us had that experience. (laughs)
0: David Zapanta says, great idea for an episode. I would never have written my zombie novels were it not for George Romero. By infusing Mm. his films with social commentary, he not only elevated social discourse as a whole, but the zombie genre itself. As for my zombie novels, which truck an awful lot in their own kind of social commentary, Romero is not a character per se, but his influence looms large within the Kadabra Rasa series, which I highly recommend checking that out. He's got two books out, and I think he's working on a third Kadabra Rasa.
1: Cool. Russell Wajda says I might have seen Night of the Living Dead at the drive in when I was one. Not sure, but I like to think I did because I like zombies so much. I probably was sleeping though. I'm <laughs> but sure But you caught up eventually, so that's all right. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure, I, I'm I'm my guess is he saw it and that's why he's such a dark twisted person now.
1: Yeah there you go Yeah
0: Avelina Roschino says Romero was such a visionary In his movie Night of the Living Dead Was a horror movie that made you feel terrorized Isolated and powerless As an unknown force reanimated loved ones And strangers alike to try to take you into their fold The nature of this threat was so unfamiliar At the time that you didn't know how to fight it And that made things even scarier on top mm. of that, he also cast an African-American in the lead role. Within the universe of the movie, no one challenged him due to his race. In fact, everyone in the movie was colorblind, which was unknown for the era in which that movie was made.
1: Absolutely true. Yeah. And then finally, Mads Hogue, I believe, Hogue Thompson, said, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead was my absolute first zombie movie ever. I was hooked on the genre after that. It's still my favorite zombie movie ever. I must have watched it hundreds of times. So sad that he is gone. And so, yeah, we can certainly echo that. It's always a shame when you have to do a, a memorial piece about someone that we all care about so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, we're talking about it. It's You're right, he lived a full life, and, um, you know, it's, it's a sad occasion, but it's good to celebrate it.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely good to take a look back and have the opportunity to say this is an extraordinary body of work, mm-hmm. and thankfully it's something that everybody can revisit over and over, and it's still gonna be having an impact. Anybody new sees Night of the Living Dead for the first time, you know they they walk like you were you were asking me actually like towards the beginning about uh, whether I'm surprised by students and um, their reactions or their takes. I will say that every year I use Night of the Living Dead in the writing classes, I show it um, to a whole new group of students, several groups of students. And initially, they're chuckling and they're laughing because things are goofy and it's not the kind of production values they're used to and the acting they might think is a little off. And then by the middle of the movie, they're not laughing anymore (laughs) and, and they're into it. And by the time you get to that final scene with Ben, yeah. I usually get just drastic, intense gasps and reactions <laughs> from everyone. They <laughs> are invested awesome. in it. The I movie it. still works. And yeah.
0: these are probably kids who have seen modern zombie movies and Walking sure. Dead, right? Yeah.
1: Sure, but they're not used to just how stark and how direct Night of the Living Dead really is. Once you get past the parts that feel antiquated to a modern sensibility it still works. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best tribute to what Romero did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's good to finally get you on. So thanks a lot. Oh,
1: that it was a pleasure.
0: And, uh, what else would you like to mention? Anything you want to mention before we say goodbye?
1: Well, my own podcast is on a bit of a hiatus right now, Doctor of the Dead, but I'm still on Twitter at Doctor of the Dead. If anybody wants to ever ask anything or chat, but I also do a lot of work in other areas of pop culture, including both uh, Marvel movies and comics, and also Doctor Who. And I have a small press publishing company, ATB Publishing, which you can check out at atbpublishing.com, and we have published an entire series of essay collections so far covering classic and modern Doctor Who and classic and modern Star Trek Um, But we just released our biggest book. It is a huge 700-page, full-color tome called Red, White, and Who, The Story of Doctor Who in America. It's basically an all-inclusive, nonfiction narrative of the relationship between Doctor Who, its fans in this country, and how the two influenced one another over the decades. And it was years in the research and making, and it's just rolling out now. So if there's any crossover out there and anybody's interested in Doctor Who, you might want to check it out.
0: That's cool. We've talked about Doctor Who a few times on this episode, Karen. Oh, I, I love it too. Um your email is fourteenth Doctor.
1: The fourteenth Doctor yeah. at Yahoo dot com. Yeah, people can email me if they want and that's uh, d- fine too.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to give out your private email, but I just wanted to bring no, that it's up. That's okay. I everybody knows it. What uh what number are they on right now?
1: Uh tech <laughs> technically they're on thirteen. Yeah. Except the um, war
0: doctor kind of yeah that the off, war but.
1: doctor kind of threw it off and actually depending on how you count it they're kind of tech they could be past 14 depending on how you look at it so <laughs> right. i knew one day my email would be out of date so yeah i you mean gotta change it.
0: it the best outcome would be if they had given you a call and asked you to come on and play the part <laughs> that's
1: right well i guess now it's your turn you had it it's like yeah all right yeah we're, we're,
0: there's nothing else we can do <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right well thanks again and uh Hope to have You're you back on welcome. sometime.
1: Sure, sure, I'd love to.
0: Obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens. The people it kills, get
1: up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is a Walking Deadcast news update.
0: Alright, it's time for the news. I'm going to do this section solo so first Tony Moore who was the original artist on the Walking Dead comic and is an amazing artist and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen his art but it's really detailed it's a little more comic booky than the current artist that took over after Tony Moore and has been the artist since Charlie Adlard and I really feel like Charlie Adlard is actually the the artist for that book because his art is so moody and a little more grave. But Tony Moore, I was sad to see him go because he was so good. Anyway, he came back and as I guess a commission just drew his version of Negan beating Glenn's brains in. (laughs) Some of you aren't going to want to see that. But uh, I just thought it was really cool to see this iconic scene from the comic drawn by the original artist. So if you want to see that, it's on his Instagram and I'll put a link in the show notes. Next. I can't remember whether I mentioned this already, but I'll mention it again if so. AMC has produced this Walking Dead cookbook. It's called The Walking Dead, The Official Cookbook and Survival Guide, and it details the skills and recipes anyone would need to survive during an unexpected walker apocalypse. It features more than 60 mouthwatering recipes for breakfast, dinner, drinks, and even dessert, including iconic meals inspired by those featured on the show, such as Carl's Chocolate Pudding, Daryl Dixon's deer stew, and of course Carol's beet and acorn cookies. That I know. I talked to somebody about that already. I just can't remember if I was in front of a microphone recording it. But forgive me if it was. I th- it's it's coming out on um, October 10th, but you can pre-order it now. Recipes are by the chef Lauren Wilson, and it's got you know it's like one of those really nice cookbooks with pictures and stuff. Although the pictures are apocalyptic so it's kind of grimy and i don't know it's kind of weird in my opinion to associate food with the zombie apocalypse but it's fun i'd like to try those beet and acorn cookies next from comicbook.com there's a new game the walking coming out the walking dead our world it's called it's an augmented reality video game So I don't know if you guys know about augmented reality, but basically you take your phone and hold it up and it shows you, you know, it uses the camera to show you the environment that you're already looking at, but it puts new things in that environment too. So like uh, they're talking about this is gonna be a good way to see if a new chair would look good in the corner. You just pick the chair you want, pick the color, put put it in the spot you want, and then you can see how it would look in the corner, stuff like that. So this game allows people, this is from comicbook.com, it allows people to experience a zombie apocalypse right at the palm of their hands. Created by Finnish developer Next Games, the game will use the same principle as Niantic's Pokemon Go, except that instead of catching cute monsters, players will be killing undead hordes of flesh eaters. Set to arrive on both the iOS and Android, a teaser trailer for the game was released this week, showing people wandering around with their smartphones to collect weapons and kill zombies. It sounds kind of cool, actually. I, I mean, there's so many little Walking Dead game, mobile games out right now, and I haven't really tried a lot of them because they look, I don't know, they just look okay, but this, this seems like it might be kind of fun. Um, next Games promises that The Walking Dead Our World will be a first-of-its-kind location-based augmented reality mobile game where players can kill walkers outdoors or in the comforts of their own home. Uh, and uh, the little video that they showed had Michonne in it, so I think it the game also has characters from the show next speaking on australia's national radio station i think chandler riggs said of walking dead season eight quote season seven was all about building up and getting everybody ready to fight against negan and this season there's going to be lots of explosions lots of killing and a lot more negan yeah lots of fighting lots of cool stuff it's really really fun this season So it's going to be an action packed season. That's pretty clear from how everyone's talking about it in the trailers, unless they take a sharp left turn, like they've kind of done before. I guess we really just don't know anything, but what was interesting to me about this quote is lots of killing. So that could potentially mean deaths on our side. You know, it might just mean that a lot of like red shirts from Negan's crew die, but it could mean some main characters kind of scary also he said a lot more Negan so I think you know the trailer you don't see Negan that much you just see him at the little bit of beginning a little bit at the end and I feel like they were well this is just speculation but you know they 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 got that people were tired of Negan that some were I think he's very polarizing some just love him to death some are tired of him I'm more in the love him camp you guys know that but uh anyways I can understand why people would be tired of him so they didn't show him a lot in the trailer but it says a lot more in here so maybe they think they found a way to show Negan that's different than what they did last season and that people will come to like I don't know if Karen's ever gonna like seeing Negan (laughs) I kind of doubt it But she did say that she thought it would be cool if he showed some remorse or something like that. All right, next, a casting call has gone out for Walking Dead extras, and I thought this was a really interesting casting call. They're seeking, quote, contortionists, males and females, 18 to 50 years old, must be able to bend their arms and shoulders in various unique angles. So there's going to be some contortionist Zombies twisted up like pretzels rolling around and doing circus acts or something. I don't know. No, I don't know. Why would they need a whole bunch of. I mean, I could see one zombie gets his arm accidentally caught up, you know, his head between his legs or his arm behind his head or something like that. Why would there be like a whole group of contortionist zombies? Maybe, maybe like Negan goes in and, ha- you know, twist them all around like pretzels for some reason that's weird all right that's our show episode 277 thank you as usual for listening everybody thanks again to dr arnold bloomberg i hope you enjoyed his contribution i bet you did he's just so knowledgeable and he's Just an easygoing guy, and I've had a lot of fun doing panels with him at Walker Stalker. So, again, if you want to check out his podcast, it's Doctor of the Dead, and uh, he gave some of his other contact information. If you want to call us, you can reach us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323. You can send me an email at brains at podcastica.com. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. Be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com next week it's the return of fear the walking dead i believe it's going to be me and cindy and duncan again um we might do some switching up of hosts this last half of this season because duncan's going to be really busy doing his game of thrones rewatch over on game of microphones but at least for that first episode it'll be you know the three of us like it was for the first half Either way, I'm really looking forward to this coming back. I, My big hope is that they can just maintain the same quality of show that they had with the first half. If they can do that, that would be totally awesome. I have a feeling it's going to just drop in quality, but I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope it's just going to be just as good. All right, that's our show. Rest in peace, George Romero. I feel like we should do a group zombie sound, you know, instead of like a moment of silence. So on three, ready, one, two.